to this week's episode of the Compass Equip Podcast. This is Pastor Evan. And, and this is Pastor Hayden. I'm joined with him. He's joined with me. In the, that's weird. <laughs> we're in a closet right now. We're storage in the storage room. room. We're recording this. That's where we record every week in the storage room. Yeah. With sound panels, though. There you go. Sounds, sounds fine. You should be really echoey. Well, here at Compass Bible Church, we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ by reaching people for Christ, teaching people to be like Christ, and training people to serve Christ in everything that we do here at Compass, including this very podcast and the prayer night that's about to happen in a mm. few minutes, actually. That's right. Is to fulfill that mission of reaching, teaching, and training. Well, Compass, we completed our very first sermon series in the gospel according to Matthew, People and Promises, and Pastor Hayden sidled, Simon, wow, sermon title. S- sermon title. Okay. I'm really excited. Just I now. saddled up that sermon. There we go. <laughs> the title is The Truthfulness of God's Promises. No, The Truthfulness of God's Faithfulness. That's what I meant to say. Mm, man. I am struggle busting right well, now. Mm. I'm not even going to attempt to read the name. So the text was Matthew 1, 12 through 17, wrapping up the genealogy from the deportation to Babylon all the way to the Christ. So, Pastor Hayden, your main emphasis of the sermon was that the Bible's predictive prophecy about historical events should bolster our, our confidence in the veracity of Scripture, enabling us to look to God's Word as the final arbiter of truth and embolden us to walk in faith. So out of this main thrust of your sermon, what is the main application we need to start doing this week? It's looking at Scripture for what it is, and that is the truthfulness of God's faithfulness. Simply put, we look at Scripture's historical accuracy, even to the specificity of the prophecies that we even looked over on the Sunday, and saying, there it is, it's true. Uh, and it wasn't just true in its accuracy of history, it was true in the necessity of its application for the people of God. And so for you and I, it's to look at Scripture as not only an historically accurate account of God, His people, and even of future uh, events that are to come, but how they are meant uh, for us to take and to live a particular way, because that is the definition of uh, what we're talking about is predictive prophecy. It's a message recorded from Scripture, in Scripture, from God, mediated through a person concerning future events that are directed to a people group that intended to produce a particular response. And so Scripture is not just a history book for us. It, it isn't even primarily meant to be a history book. It's meant to be an, a book for you and I to have a, a record of what God said that would enable us and that would cause us and produce in us a particular response to God. All right. And to help bolster that, we have to almost change the definition of predictive in our mind. As we think of predictive, we think, oh, God's guessing the future. And in reality, God, when he means by predictive prophecy, God is revealing the future that he's going to unfold. So he's not guessing what's about to happen. He's like, hey, this is what I'm going to do. Hmm. And so with that, point number one was for us to let God's promises illuminate God's will for us. And what are some extra thoughts you may have for that, Pastor Hayden, maybe some application that we need to have in point number one. So many of our problems come because we just don't know God's Word, and we want God to illuminate His will for us. We want Him to shine a light on it. I mean, that's it's really what we want. But which will? Right. Well, yeah, we, we need to talk about that. that God has, has, there's multiple wills doctrinally about, about God, but the problem with, with, I think, our own faith is so much we want to know God's hidden will. Right, the will that he has not 
articulated to us, and we're sitting here thinking, well, I wonder what God could do for me in this situation. I wonder how God's going to do this. But he's given us so much of his will in other areas, uh, like his revealed will. Like he has revealed so much of his will to his people. And we need to, uh, number one, it needs to suffice in in our life that what God has given us um, in the re- the will that we have received from him, his revealed will, is enough to illuminate in our life God's word and its application for you and I. All right. So, for example, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. So, Pastor Hayden, as I'm married with a spouse or I'm trying to parent my child or maybe choose a job at work, how, how does... How do I do this? Okay, so we looked at that text. God's will is our sanctification. And so God wants us sanctified, and he's going to use institutions that he's created. Who created marriage? God. All right, who had, who had called us to be fruitful and multiply and have children? God. So we have the, and who's, who called us to work? Who was actually, the, what was the first, one of the first things God called humanity to do? Well, to work, and God told us to work. To work, and he told us to work. And so we understand that all the things that you just said, really what pertains to most of our lives, marriage, child rearing, and vocational work, all are institutions created by God. And if he wants to sanctify us, he's going to use the institutions that he's created to do that, which means that God has an actual will within these institutions that will sanctify us if we would apply his word uh, to the... uh, even to the fact that when I look at my marriage, marriage will sanctify you. Anybody who's faithful in their marriage will learn real fast that it sanctifies you. You'll learn just how big of a sinner you are, how selfish you are, how isocentric you are, uh, and, and you learn real quick if you want to be a faithful spouse how much you got to say no to your passions and sinful flesh. And it gets it grows when you're a parent. It, when you're yeah, when you're a parent, and then you learn you learn learn a lot of things. Why don't you go ahead and talk about how to sanctify and, and parenting? It's literally what you said and more. We realize how much more of a sinner you are when mm-hmm. it's now a little human breathing in your in your home that you now have to take care of because it's your DNA that mm-hmm. God has given life. Sinful DNA. Yes. Right. And that's another part we have often. We talked about that last week. We're so we, we like to give our kids the benefit of the doubt when Scripture says that they were conceived in iniquity. And so even the sanctification is you've got to learn how to discipline your own children so that you can help them understand the penalty of sin and the penalty of disobedience. Because when we let our children walk in disobedience, well, they're going to continue walking in disobedience. And so even that institution was meant to not only sanctify you as a parent, but to help you raise your child up to know a fear of the Lord and the discipline for walking in, walking in sin. And where is that will found? In Scripture, it teaches you how. We, and we have a whole series on that through Colossians and the household. Uh, but even in your work, like the way that we work, we don't we don't work uh, in a in a backhanded way. We don't we don't say things you know to one group of people and turn around and do something uh, else differently. Uh, we don't spend all our lives working to not be able to invest in our homes. But the Bible also teaches us that we got to work hard. We got to be faithful. I mean, Titus 2 talks about the, the men's job, and that is that we are we, we show ourselves to be models of good works in, in every area. And, of course, that includes the, our lives at work. Our, our job isn't to do what our culture is talking about around and, and silently quitting. You know, this idea that we just do the bare minimum to get by, uh, that's not absolutely not what the Bible says. The Bible says you work hardly as for the Lord and not for man because you're not here to please man and you're not here to please yourself. You're here to please God. And so we just talked about your whole your whole life and the institutions that are around your life and how God's will clearly speaks into those. So there, there you go. A helpful resource for you to maybe purchase on Amazon is a book called Just Do Something by Kevin DeYoung, and he actually works through a lot of what Pastor Hayden actually preached on this morning. 
And uh, Pastor Aiden, your second point was for us to remove any doubt about the truthfulness of Scripture. Uh, Love this point of how much you know, prophecy he went over, especially in Daniel 8, really showing that God was not silent mm-hmm. in the intertestamental period. He Maybe he didn't write things down for 400 years, but he was doing exactly what he said. And we're in a period like that as Christians where the canon is closed, revelation is, com- is done, the book is mm-hmm. complete. And yet God is still actively speaking through his actions. And he said, hey, people will be saved. The Gentiles will be reached. People will repent and trust in me. Why, why is it dangerous for us as Christians to neglect our study of the prophets? Well, if you take all the prophetic texts out of Scripture, you're not left with a lot of Scripture. I mean, there's just some, some there's just the, the blunt truth of the matter. As a matter of fact, we're going to get into the next section of Scripture in our uh, series starting next week uh, entitled The King Has Come. And the reason that we have uh, faith and trust that the King has come is because as the uh, birth and early life of Jesus is unfolding, uh, Matthew the Apostle to over, fulfill the prophets over and over again. That's what the prophets yeah. said. To fulfill what Isaiah said. He's quoting the prophets over and over and over again. And so you can't you can't remove the significance and the importance of the predictive prophecy of the Old Testament to even help us see and have trust that this uh, person uh, in the first century uh, from from Galilee uh, is is the one. I mean, there's billions of people ever. How do we know that's the one? How do we know that he was the one? Because of predictive prophecy and how he fulfilled them, so and there, there's your, there's why it's, it's dangerous to ne- to reject them and to neglect the prophetic text of Scripture. And I understand some of it's hard to understand, uh, but you're going to need to look through them because our whole lives as Christians rest on the truthfulness of predictive prophecy. Well, we would be terrible shepherds to not reiterate the tools that you gave us in your sermon at least at the nine o'clock i didn't i didn't tell it to the 11 o'clock wow if you want to know what those tools are we'll tell them right now so one is that you need a good bible and we said hey a good translation that we use is the english standard version the esv but also pastor you mentioned a bible dictionary what bible dictionary would you recommend them getting yeah you can get the the revised holman illustrated bible dictionary i think that that's a good one for you i was uh, even in the Life Group Leader podcast, I gave him a couple of different ones. There, there's many different Bible dictionaries. As we, Pastor Amy said there's too many because uh, there is a lot. But you can get the New Bible Dictionary. Uh, there's the Harper Collins Bible Dictionary. Lexum. The Lexum. That's a Logos resource, so you can only get that on Logos. Which you should get Logos. Which is another resource. Logos is another great resource that you can invest time and money in. But honestly, if, if you get the, the Holman uh, the Revised Holman Illustrated Bible Dictionary, that'll be a good start. I think that'll be a solid resource for you. Uh, and a Bible dictionary doesn't work like Webster's Dictionary, like I said in the 9 o'clock. Uh, it's, it's not just going to define a word. It's going to define a, def, it's gonna define and give you the introductory knowledge on certain topics and places and themes and people in Scripture to help you. As you read a text of Scripture and you don't understand it, you can hop over to your Bible dictionary, and it gives you an introduction into areas like prophecy, uh, like Isaiah and things like that that you may not know very well, it gives you a good uh, summary of, of what this topic consists of to help you get your study going. All right. You also mentioned a study Bible. Which study Bibles uh, could they get even at the bookstore? We have two study Bibles. We have just the, the ESV study Bible, uh, and then we have the 
uh, MacArthur Study Bible that is also an ESV Study Bible. And so those two study Bibles are really great for you. And study Bibles are great because it's more than just the text in front of you, which, again, we're not asking you to add to the text of Scripture. We're saying sometimes it's great to have some uh, some Scripture aids there that can give you notes and commentates briefly on what you're reading. And so if you kind of get stuck or you don't know what's going on, you can look down at those study notes at the bottom of your study Bible, and it kind of gives you some commentary and information about what, what that means and the possible interpretations uh, if you do find a difficult uh, scripture, a difficult prophecy, a study Bible at least gets you your feet wet and understanding kind of what you're going through. And even if, if you're in your daily devotions like me, I love studying using my study Bible in my own daily devotionals because I don't want to open up all my resources. I don't want to jump on Logos because I'll, I'll jump down a rabbit hole um, and I can look at a study Bible and I can get so much out of it with my own time with the Lord, with just my study Bible. Because if I if I lost somewhere, I just look down and say, okay, I understand that, and I can jump right back up to the text. And so study Bible would be really good uh, as a resource for you on top of your normal Bible and your Bible dictionary. And finally, you mentioned a good Bible commentary, which you can get a, a million different sets of a thousand mm-hmm. books, or you can get a one to two volume commentary. And which commentary would you recommend that's a good one to two mm-hmm. volume commentary? The, the Bible knowledge commentary is going to be a resource we recommend to, to you. It's it's uh, brief in, in the sense that it's not 20 books, it's two. And it's going to help you uh, dive deeper a way that a study Bible can't and the study Bible is going to get your feet wet. Uh, the Bible knowledge commentary will, uh, for most of you and for most topics, is going to give you uh, a depth and a reasonable depth of information and commentary that's going to help you apply and understand any most all the texts that you're going to find in Scripture. All right. Well, your final point was... Uh, to kind of lay the plane on your sermon it was to focus our efforts on living for Christ's coming kingdom. And you mentioned how important it was for us to realize we can never skip over a genealogy, especially Matthew's, because all those names are pointed to one name, and it's because of what he did, or for them, what he's going to do, and then for us, what he's going to do uh, in the future, and how we must understand that we need to understand and study eschatology, what is going to come. I guess, what is the danger when we are maybe apathetic towards studying the end times of what Christ is going to do as he reigns? And and if this is you, if you are one of those who are apathetic towards the end times, like, hey, I think I I founded that club. No, I didn't think I founded that's too much. But I spent a lot of my life saying, you know what, I, I don't think it's important that I know about the end time if I just live faithful to right now. But any any student of, of the Bible, once you start studying the Bible, a lot of the Bible is about the coming uh, eschatological uh, calendar. And so you're not going to be able to read very far into Scripture anywhere without having to, without running into Christ is coming. When is he coming? How is he coming? What is he going to do when he comes? Uh, and there's going to be, there's a whole lot going on. And every time, if you're one of those people who are just apathetic about eschatology, you're going to have to force yourself almost to skip over so much of the Bible uh, that it does become, it probably does become pretty stale and pretty hollow to you because you're taking out really what gives us hope, and that is eschatology. And so I get that it's a secondary it's a secondary issue in, in the realm of, of our uh, justification in, in our salvation, but it's not secondary in our hope because our hope is in eschatology, obviously the end times. Our hope is in the return of Christ. And so if we can't, with a certain amount of confidence, rest on that, 
there's going to be a lot of problems in us living for Christ today. Uh, and even particularly the, the two most popular views of the end times. Uh, I'd love to dialogue about that a little bit, P.E. And obviously, you know, there are two major views of, of uh, the end times, a, a premillennial reign of Christ and a post-millennial reign of Christ. But even though that you would say at our church we are a pre-millennial uh, church, that we believe that, that Christ is going to come and reign in a literal millennial kingdom, uh, but that changes stuff for us because we believe that there's nothing that needs to happen between right now and the time that Jesus comes back and raptures his church. Right? Yes. Okay. And, and so when we look at that, even that eschatological truth in our lives, we live knowing that any day could be the day. Now, there are people who are post-millennials, and, and what do they believe? They believe that they're going to be ush—we, as Christians, will usher in the kingdom, that we will Christianize the world, and it's not as— maybe fluffy and rainbows as people will try to paint it as, but because if you're going to be faithful towards their theology, it's like, no, it's a, it's a battle. We're fighting against where they're taking ground for God's church and we will usher in the kingdom of God. And the amillennial, the postmillennial and the premillennial views are both all three of our orthodox. We believe in the premillennial is correct. But, but the postmillennial, even that, right? We are not postmillennial. Like we, we don't, we don't preach that. We don't preach that throughout the lens of Scripture, but even like we talked to our life group leaders about, a post-millennial is at least going to say, "Well, Scripture tells me that I've got to be very involved in in our life in the world today. Like I'm ushering in the kingdom, so I need to make sure that I'm applying God's word and going out there and helping other people do it." Right? And even though we don't believe in a post-millennial return of Christ, we believe in a pre-millennial reign of Christ, which still tells us that we don't sit on our thumbs on here because Christ could be coming back at any day. We need to be out making disciples. We need to be sharing the gospel with people. We have an imminent view of the return of Christ. He could come at any time. Essentially, all views make the Christian do something for the kingdom of God. Right. And the way that we view it is, hey, we got to go out there and make disciples. We got to evangelize. Mm-hmm. We got to you know, make disciples of the people so they can make more disciples Right. so that we can see more people right. saved. And our biggest problem is when you're one of those people who are apathetic and say, I don't have a view of the end times. Well, then you then you probably have one of those lives that have a lot of, that aren't as fruitful as it could be because your eschatology does truly inform the fruitfulness of your life. You look to what is to come and you're like, this is the motivating factor of why I'm living for the Lord because he's coming back and he has told me how to live between the time I'm saved and to the time that he returns or that I meet him uh, at death. And the danger of not really coming to grips of what eschatology is all about is all the other views are focused on uh, God's kingdom. When you're apathetic, the danger is you're not going to be caring about God's kingdom. You're going to be caring about more your kingdom here yep. on earth. That's right. So, all right. So the time is running out, Pastor Hayden. So with their application questions this week, how should we approach them? Yeah, there's going to be, I mean, you're going to be talking about prophecy, predictive prophecy. And what I'd want to, I want to encourage you to do, don't get into the weeds about this. I mean, I hope it gets you excited. I hope you'll look at this and say, man, that's very clear. But I don't want you to get into the weeds because remember, all predictive prophecy is supposed to elicit a particular response of application for the life of the Christian. And so, therefore, when you're reading these application questions, it should elicit a response. And so read these and apply them to your life today. This isn't about getting into the weeds about eschatology or predictive prophecy. It's about getting into the weeds of your life and actually plucking out the weeds. Mm. There you go. Come on. All right. Well, Compass, we have several resources. One of them actually happened back in June when Pastor Hayden and I were part of a National Equipped Conference. So if you go to EquippedConference.com, again, that's EquippedConference.com, you're going to find just dozens of 
uh, lectures about how we can trust the Bible, and a shameless plug for myself, it sounds weird to say, is that I did a lecture for an hour and a half based on the power and importance of fulfilled predictive prophecies. So use that as a resource to help you understand how to approach prophecies. Pastor Hayden, what are the two resources that you wrote Well, down? as we're running out of time, let me just give one, and then we can get into our DBR spotlight. Uh, one book that I think would be helpful is the Moody Handbook of Messianic Prophecy, Studies and Expositions of the Messiah in the Old Testament. Uh, all, all of our uh, predictive prophecies of the Messiah are in the Old Testament because he is arrived in the New Testament. So they look back at the Old Testament. It's a good book for you. Uh, Pastor Evan has read through that book well, and I've jumped around in it for particular studies that I've done. And it's just a good book for you to read up on how uh, we understand Christ as being the fulfillment of the messianic prophecies of the Old Testament. All right, DBR Spotlight, new, new book? New book. We're right. going to be starting Jeremiah. So here we go. We're going to do this real fast because in a few minutes we got to run downstairs and pray. So here we go. Jeremiah is the author of Jeremiah, but he also had an author, Baruch. But Jeremiah's name is actually very important. It means a God appoints. And God appointed Jeremiah to a very, very difficult task. He was a priest who was also a prophet of God, who uh, was a prophet during the reign of King Josiah, a good king of Israel, for about 40 years until the destruction, past the destruction uh, that Babylon did to Jerusalem in 586 B.C. And the end of his life is not very positive. He was actually kidnapped by his fellow Jews to Egypt because they wanted to ally with Egypt to take back uh, the promised land. And he was stoned to death by these same men. So it was not necessarily a great position that he was in, but he was a faithful prophet to, prophet to communicate the truths God gave him to uh, Judah. So the background you need to know about this book is that you're going to see uh, a little bit of the rise and fall of Assyria. Have that in the back of your mind because Assyria arose and they fell to Babylon. And the Babylon is going to be a main thrust of this book. There's going to be the rise and conquest of Babylon against Israel and the Jewish people, uh, their lack of trust of God, in, in God, and essentially. They, in the end, wanted to trust Egypt rather than God. And God's like... Come on, man! Like, stop, stop fighting it. Just on, isn't that isn't that a it's uh, like a sports thing? Isn't a sports thing? Come on, man! Yeah, it's yeah. a little sports thing. Mm, so I heard it. I got you. So, what to notice this week? So, what to notice in this week in Jeremiah one through ten? First, notice God's sovereignty right off the bat. Chapter one, verse five. God shows His sovereignty in not uh, in the eventual judgment of Judah and in Israel, which He foretold a while back. But saying, hey, Jeremiah, by the way, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you, you were born, I set you apart to be a prophet of the nations. God's revealing, hey, Jeremiah, even though it doesn't look very good, I am in charge. So notice God's sovereignty this week and throughout the book of Jeremiah. Something else you notice this week as you're reading just the first four, uh, first 10 chapters, excuse me, is the tough words that Jeremiah has to preach, but also the true words that he must proclaim. And he said, uh, God tells this to Jeremiah in chapter one, verse 17 to 19, right off the bat saying, Hey, be faithful to what I say to you and don't be dismayed by the resistance. They will fight against you, but they will not prevail for I am with you. So, Hey, Jeremiah, even though it's going to be scary, say the true words I'm going to tell you to tell them. Another thing 
you're going to notice in this first week in Jeremiah is just the great and evil sin of Judah, God's view of their sin, and their coming judgment of their sin. You're going to see how God is just appalled, saying, heavens, be appalled and shocked and utterly desolate, for my people have committed these evils. They have forsaken me, and they hewed out cisterns from themselves, saying they wanted to live life on their own and turn to be their own God. See how adulterous and faithless they are. Jeremiah chapter 3 and God said, hey, what you need to do, Israel, you need to have a circumcised heart. You need to remove the foreskin of your heart, which is an important, which we'll talk about in just a moment. And saying, this is how I view sin. You need a heart change. Your heart is so wicked, you need a heart change. Because as he says in Jeremiah 7, you have done great evil in my sight, just detestable things. And what are these detestable things is that they're sacrificing their children to false gods, and to, he renames a valley to the Valley of Slaughters. Like, this is how evil you are, is that you're slaughtering your children. And so what another thing you'll notice throughout the book of Jeremiah and the other book he writes, Lamentations, is Jeremiah's grief over and over. He's known as the weeping prophet. Yeah, the weeping or wailing prophet. Right. Jeremiah 8.18, my joy is gone. Grief is upon me. My heart is sick within me. Jeremiah sees it, Judas. Wouldn't you sin. love to be known as a crier? I mean, Jeremiah throughout Christian history. Pretty. Do you just cry? You're a, so. <laughs> a different type of cry because what he's crying over is he's looking at sin and saying, this grieves me. Hmm. You're grieving God. You're desecrating his name because you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be a priest among the nations and you're failing. And I'm grieved because we're going to be destroyed by Babylon. And it's because of our sin's fault. And so see how his reaction to sin should be our reaction to sin. And he's like, he's like, we need a circumcised heart. We need a changed heart. And that's the point for us uh, as Christians today in just the first week is that we need to tell, say tough words, but true words, because we must proclaim the gospel to the world, just like Peter did at Pentecost. He, when he tells these tough words to the, to the Jewish people, Jesus, hey, the guy Jesus, you know about a man attested to you by God through the predictive prophecies, through mighty works and signs of God did through him. By the way, you delivered him up. You crucified him. You killed him and gave him up to lawless men. And then in verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were circumcised in the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, what do we do? And this is the, the tough and loving words that Peter said, said to them, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. For what? For the forgiveness of your sins. Recognize you are a sinner against a holy God. You deserve just uh, his justice for all your sins. But if you turn from yourself, turn from your sins, and trust in him, your sins will be forgiven. And these are the tough words that we have today. So just in the first week, we have a job like Jeremiah to proclaim good news, thankfully, but it's also going to be tough news for the world. And that wraps up our DBR spotlight for this week. All right. A few announcements. Compass One, We in our bookstore, we now have a, a section called the Pastor's Pick of the Month. And every month, your pastors, me and Pastor Evan, we will pick a book that we think will be helpful for you as you read uh, and apply it to your life, you'll uh, grow in your faith. And that's what we hope to do through Pastor's Pick of the Month. And this first book is Gospel Treason. And it sold a lot of copies this Sunday. And so we should have some more copies in there by next week. Every month, be looking for the Pastor's Pick of the Month. 
We also have a women's breakfast on October the 22nd. We'll be jumping into God's Word in James 3. And Candace, Pastor Evans' wife, will be preaching to our gals that day. And we encourage you uh, to come that, the gals, for fellowship and uh, sitting under the teaching of God's Word. Uh, we also have Exploring Compass, our next session, on October the 30th and November the 6th. So we want to invite you, if you have not uh, registered, have never gone through or completely uh, finished Exploring Compass, this is the time to do it. We'd love to have you jumping in and serving and being a part of what God is doing here. And so Exploring Compass, Women's Breakfast, and Bookstore Pastors Pick of the Month. Compass, we're so grateful for you. You're listening to this uh, podcast. We're hoping that it is blessing you. We're hoping uh, that God would do such a great work in your life and in our church. We'll see you next week.